Welcome to The Conversation. This is Gretchen. And hi, I'm Christy. And this is Conversations to Connect. You're listening to episode 19, where we will be continuing the conversation about the impact of society on our sense of self. With our guest, Joseph Carringer. So excited to have Joseph Carringer here today with Didge Therapy. And we asked Joseph to come on to sort of talk about society norms. We've been talking a lot about women and what it's like to be a woman in our society. And our so, relationship with ourselves. So we happy to have you. thought it would be a great here. idea to have a male perspective, so we appreciate Definitely. you being here. I'm happy to be here. The very first time I met Joseph, I didn't believe that somebody could actually be a Patriots and Steelers fan. <laughs> oh, that, it, yeah, now if you're from it's Pittsburgh, possible. that I've sounds seen, like He is an not from Pittsburgh. No, That's what I mean, yeah. but if you're from oh, Pittsburgh, right. it sounds like an impossibility. Exactly, it is. So how did that come about? I married a Steelers family well, 18 that makes years a lot ago. Of sense. Right, you that's in the prenup. When you yeah. when you marry someone from Pittsburgh, <laughs> you have to become a Steelers fan and regardless just, enjoy it. And just by coincidence the year that we got together was the year that the Patriots won oh. their first Super Bowl. So it was a fascinating experience. <laughs> the whole thing. The whole thing. I was at the game this last year when the the Patriots lost to the Steelers to oh. then go win their 6th Super Bowl. Yep. Now tying the Steelers. Mm, for some that. tense days at home, maybe. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. You have to take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. It's great to be a fan of the two best teams in the NFL. That's absolutely true. That is a great way to put it. I don't know if I don't know if Steeler Nation would agree with you, but I think that that's a fabulous way to put it. No, but I think just like Joseph said, either you're giving up your team or you're just taking another one on because yeah. Steelers fans are just. We're that way. So. That's right. That's right. Welcome to Pittsburgh and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I am a Penguins fan and I am a Pirates fan. Those are my only two. two okay, we'll take you. Yeah, we'll so. take you. Absolutely. So would you tell us a little bit about what you, how did you get into Ditch Therapy and yeah. doing what you do? A little background. So um, in 1996, woke up from a dead sleep saying, I'm going to play the didgeridoo. And didn't never really, touched it before. Never touched it before. Vaguely had an idea that it, I knew what the sound was, Mm. um, but I actually thought it was made from a bull roar. So I didn't know that it was actually a hollow tube at that point that you blew into. Um, Six months later, I found a dig at a uh, uh, world goods shop in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, and picked it up and could just play. Wow. And that was, that's sort of like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and then, so I was, by the end of the, the first week and a half, I was circular breathing. By the uh, end of my first month of playing, I was uh, playing out with the Rich Gardenia Quartet in uh, all over New Hampshire and playing with blues and jazz. And then in 1999, started playing with electronic dance music. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, a kid who was working for me told me about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio hiring a didgeridoo player to come to his house and play over him while he laid on a shiatsu mat by his pool once a week yeah and that was in 2003 november um took him telling me the story twice before i realized that i should probably look into what this was and like uh, the healing aspect of yeah yeah because like the first day the first day he came into work and he started talking about it i looked down and i was like marty get back to work (laughs) and so then then the second day i i was standing actually in the exact same spot on the job site and marty started talking to me about it again and i Literally, I looked up and I went, okay, I get it. And I went home that night and I started researching and uh, couldn't find, I couldn't find anything that was consistent for uh, didgeridoo sound therapy, sound healing. Mm. And uh, there was one website where a doctor had written 
a paper that listed a series of side effects. So side effects of didgeridoo sound therapy can be relief of migraine, muscle tension, muscle nodding. Doesn't it, sound like the side effects of our uh, pharmaceutical industry. Well, right, right. Well, the reason why is because at that point, I mean, and still, like if you list something as a side effect, you have mm-hmm. no medical accountability to sure. listing a side effect. So this is a, right. a physician who is listing, an Australian physician, mm-hmm. listing all of these things as side effects. And uh, then there was one other website I found that was pretty decent, which was the uh, Did Shop uh, didjshop.com, hmm. who I actually still get digits from, their didgeridoo sound healing page. And so between the doctor saying there was all these physiological effects and the did shop page saying, get out of your own way, you're not doing anything, it's the sound. Uh-huh. That was what I started yeah. actually putting my practice together with because we're the only two places that I found something that wasn't too carry sherry woo woo. You know, like right. that was that was also really important to me because I did my EMT at Northeastern. I like was originally looking at going into either veterinary medicine or emergency room medicine. Like those were so I came from a very grounded science background mm. and wanted to do something that I could look at and go, all right, if I'm doing this, what is it actually doing? And so at the end of the day, the only two things that I will ground back to that is say, okay, this is science. One, it's producing infrasound. Mm -hmm. So that's no touch form of sound massage. Mm -hmm. The third thing in the, and so there's three things total, but so there's one, the no touch sound massage. The third thing, which is meditation, British Journal of Medicine, American Journal of Medicine, they all all say, hey, meditation is good for you. (laughs) The second thing, that's the debatable one, whether or not you believe in energetics, whether or not you believe in the subtle energy system. I do. Yeah. that's where what gets people sometimes though even to step through the door and try something like even just meditation let alone Mm -hmm. ditch meditation it's going to be people think it's going to be some kind of hokey you know energy field where you know people are drinking Mm -hmm. kool-aid and getting all crazy (laughs) joseph is very grounded and so i think that once people meet you and they're like oh he's pretty cool so i've been doing this for uh since 2004 so 15 years yeah 15 years now it was almost you never saw men like it was just women at yoga studios. Like, and, yeah. and actually it was women over the ages of 35, 35 was young. Mm-hmm. And so like typically it was like 45 to like 65. Yeah. And that was, that was my client base for the most part. Cause were you mostly doing these out of yoga studios? And I was working a lot with yoga studios, okay. holistic centers. I have, I had my own office. So I started in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which mm. is where I was living when I started this. And, uh, that changed that dynamic of like who would come to workshops started change with you would get the, the wayward man every now and again would mm. show up. And now it's, I would say anywhere, like the last sold out workshop I did in Nashville, New Hampshire, uh, my last tour, the, a third of the room was men. Wow. Which is That's amazing. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Well, and I feel like here too, I really appreciate that Joseph comes to the village center and does workshops here as well, because I think that you really appreciate the effects that it has on people's mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he's always yeah. been very open to that. And we have sometimes 50% men in those yeah. classes too. And I just think that it's fabulous to put yourself out there, give it a shot. I mean, it's not for everybody. So there are definitely been yeah. people like, eh, sound right. isn't Maybe really my not. thing. But I think the majority of people that I've spoken with have just had such an amazing experience and that it changes every time. I don't know yeah. how many workshops I've taken, but I feel like each experience has been different. And it depends on my mood for that day and what's on my mind. So, What do you think is attributed to the change in seeing more men come to your, whatever you would I call I think them? there's more openness. Uh, it's actually, and it's really, it's, it's across, I would say it's across wellness in general. Yeah. So I'm 45. My generation is sort of the bridge generation yeah. between mm-hmm. 
you know, men weren't supposed to have emotions. They weren't supposed to, you know, have have days off. You don't hurt. You don't, yeah. there's no, like, all you did was you just picked yourself up and kept going, right? But if you're Would doing Would you say that, that was your upbringing? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I grew up on a military so, base. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so the messages yeah. that you got were very... Yeah, men, men don't cry, men don't stop, men just work, men do all these different things. And it's okay to do that on a mm-hmm. certain level. You can absolutely do that. But you have to take care of your body to be able to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And so that part of being aware of the fact that if you don't take care of your mind, body, and spirit, you can't just keep going. Yeah. You know, and that's, and, and you're seeing across the board, you know, whether it's um, mental health awareness inside of the military, mental health awareness inside of uh, professional sports, like places where men dominate the, the spectrum yeah. inside mm-hmm. of construction work. You know, the idea of mental health awareness inside of those those areas, that's that's even part of it. Physical health awareness is part of it. Yeah. You know, you can't just eat fast food every day and live forever. Right. You know, we don't Some live forever Some people think anyway. that they can. But you also, <laughs> also can't, for a lot of us, survive on the other spectrum either. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there has to be a balance in all things. And I think that maybe Europe is a little bit different. I know that you're pretty well-traveled, too. Do you notice a difference between American society and European <laughs> society? Because, <laughs> no, there's no difference. Just a little bit. Well, I was thinking um, in the Netherlands, where I did my yoga training, they now have their military doing yoga. And mm-hmm. so that's a thing for the military. And some of the European football teams do meditation and do different kind of mm-hmm. mental wellness in addition to, like, that physical aspect. Yeah. The U.S. is... Special. Yeah, the U.S. is... Well, okay, so we're a 250-year-old culture, conservatively, right? hmm Surrounded by a world of cultures that are so much older than that. Thousands and yeah. thousands. Of you know, you yeah. could say you can, take, you can take China, and China's conservatively three to 5,000 years old. And that's super conservative. Right. That's, like, that's, a, that's, that, that's not even accurate because China's so much older than that. Communism is an experiment. That's not even a blip on their radar. It does like they've been experimenting with communism as a culture shorter than we've been a country. Mm-hmm. When you look at when you look at the world and those dynamics, and then you look at the United States and what we're dealing with in terms of just like socioeconomic, like cultural, all these different things, we're doing it as an infant of a culture, mm-hmm. right? And but we are the best because we're in our terrible twos. And when mm-hmm. I and I say we loosely, yeah. we did not show up. Our grandparents. Or our, or our right, parents' grandparents, grandparents right. showed up and did the world a big solid in World War II. And the baby boomers rode that wave into the ground, it's, you know, celebrating on their parents' successes. And that's, so we're in this really weird cultural conundrum right now that... Well, and we've yeah. talked several times about add the technology piece into it. So Right, with just in the last 10, 15 years, you add this kind of like constant connection with everyone and how right. that has just you give a phone to a two-year-old and you see what happens. Right. You know what I mean? So now that's you're what just, we've done to a that's society. That's what we've done yes. to ourselves. Right. Yeah. So I was selling cell phones at 19. So I was part of that first phase of, of like in-mall yeah. kiosks. We talk so, about remembering yeah. the days, the right. good days when you <laughs> like, could. So I've sold a brick phone. I've sold yeah. a bag phone. Like, yeah. I, and the level at which the technology has morphed and we've never even been able to develop a cultural norm or a, uh, an etiquette, a cultural etiquette for the application of the technology before it changed to the next 
version of it. We don't even know how to integrate it into like to say, okay, we've had this around long enough. This is how children should be interacting with it. This is how adults should be interacting. This is the effect that it has. It hasn't been around long Mm -hmm. enough. Everything is brand new. Well, and every time you think you understand it, they come out with something new. I mean, the technology development is just happening so much faster, more than we can come to terms with what it is that we're actually dealing with and how much, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, how much that interrupts our ability to have a relationship with ourselves, to take care of ourselves, and to be in tune with us because we're so in tune with everything else that's happening around us, especially now with access through phones and like right. and how much of it's actually real. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and connecting that to meditation, I think, is so, so important because so you take this idea of I'm going to focus my full attention here and then say you're in a relationship, like even just a friendship conversation yeah. with somebody and you're like, I'm going to put my attention on hold and give that attention to you. And as a couples therapist, I feel like people don't get that in relationships anymore. Like I'll have a husband saying, I'm always doing the driving. My wife is on the phone. Or <laughs> I, I go. Oh, you just hit a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> or you go into a restaurant and, and nobody's sitting, interacting. Right. Like, and what message does that send to pick up your phone then and say, oh, wait, I'm kind of listening to you. Yeah. The effects of technology. What do you think are some of the things from your personal experience that you, because you touched a little bit on it before when you kind of were just talking about these like societal views and norms of what are the expectations to be a boy, to be a man? Mm-hmm. What that what does that look like? And in our last podcast, we started touching on that. Do you think that you could talk a little bit more about your own personal experience or even just the interaction that you've had maybe with other men in your life too? Yeah, I mean, I don't, It's it's weird. Like, I don't know the idea of what normality was for me was there was a certain level of having to be able to be a tough like and, and tough guy is not the right word but it's the only word that i can think of like i grew up on a military base i was put into martial arts at six, at six years old mm. i grew up with a, a father who is military from the south lucky that he made it out of where he made it out of but like uh there is nothing as bad as southern bad yeah for like yeah. so like when people talk about redneck white trash any of those things like i have experienced all of that on a very personal first-hand level through Mm. my through my southern family there is nothing quite as bad as that and that's only on one side so that's my dad's mother's side my dad's father's side who he didn't get to grow up around at all those were all of the those were the actual carringers those were the ones who were doctors who were educators but his dad was a black sheep after world war ii had a sweet tooth for going out to bars, getting drunk, and picking up the wrong women. Mm. That ends up how he ends up. So so that whole idea of, of having a mother who would say, turn the other cheek, and having a father who would say, kick somebody's ass. Yeah. Like, I grew up inside of that duality mm-hmm. of, of things. And there As was a, a child, how did you navigate that? Oh, I cried a lot. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it didn't work. It, yeah. it, it, it was... It well, was, it's so confusing. I mean, literally yeah. to be getting such yeah. different messages. Yeah. And to have, and to also have it be an incredibly aggressive and violent household as well yeah. on top of it. So really what ends up happening is when I'm coming out into adulthood, completely confused, suffering from various forms of PTSD, not knowing it because it was never diagnosed. Never talked then. about. I'm never sure. talked Even about. Then. Was never was never officially diagnosed uh, ADD, but then finding out into college that I had, that mm. that's what it caused all of the issues in high school with the learning side of things. So like I said, like my generation grew up in, a, especially for people like me, there was a lot of us that were forgotten. Like, it's amazing that I even made it, like, kind of like saying, like, it's amazing my dad made it out of the South. It's amazing yeah. that I made it to where I made it to with between, you know, getting to go to school in, in, for uh, for two semesters in Hawaii over 14 months, getting to go to Syracuse University, like all of the different things that I did. 
I really shouldn't have been able to have accomplished them because I did slip through the cracks. I did not get to where I am by some wonderful guidance counselor or right. some great I was going to say you didn't find a no, therapy or No, no, of... no. I was collect I, I found a collection of really really cool men and had like my Dan Millman moment again and again and again like way of the peaceful warrior where there was some random man that you know and there was a, a list of them that stepped in for my father fell short these guys picked up the pieces and figured out that I was a decent person and that they would communicate with me. And so, like, I was able to start piecing together, like, two of the biggest influences were my gay dads. I was going to say, who stands out the most to you? Actually, Paul Parpolato, who was uh, owned a garage in Fort Lee, New Jersey, that I crash-landed at his garage. Literally had my Dan Millman moment at a guy's garage for... How old were you? And a... 24. Five? And for Which those who aren't familiar, what would that way, moment uh, be? Dan Wilman wrote The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. So, and, and so it was just... An yeah. amazing read, by an the way. An amazing read. <laughs> an amazing read. And, and you know, you, to have to have a situation where you, like, you're... You know, I lost my... I had, uh, lost my design contract. I was in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Actually, his garage was in Fort Lee, New Jersey. I was living in Edgewater. Uh, pissed off at the world. Like, could not... Just, like, I was working in the hemp industry. So, like, between dealing with... The DEA, the, uh, the federal government, all the regulations on industrial hemp, having just lost a design contract, trying to figure out everything was going on. I hated everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And crash landed with my Jeep at this garage and ended up this collection of characters that you couldn't even like write in a book, like, you know, <laughs> that ended up adopting me in. And July, no, September of 1999. And then all of a sudden, November 16th, 1999, Paul has a heart attack at the gas pump and dies. Wow. And I helped, like, I helped his partner, like, keep the garage going. So, I mean, like, this amazing, like, curve of, like, experience and education mm-hmm. that happened that you can't, like, so there's no one. Well, you no, can't seek these teachers. No, It's sort of no. like um, there's a saying that says when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right. And that I find in my life that has really been the case. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty too. empowering. Yeah. yeah. But I also think that that goes to show how, how important it is that we give ourselves opportunities. And I think a lot of times, like you were saying, you're 25 years old. You're just like, you know what? This is the worst, you yeah. know. And maybe it wasn't a chosen I'm open opportunity, to whatever. right? It, yeah. Maybe it wasn't chosen. It was kind of like forced on you. you know, oh, no, it was losing. completely forced. Right. Yeah, but sometimes my like, Jeep died right. at his at, <laughs> his at the gas pump. Yeah, and then he like decided. To, he said he went, okay, you know what? We'll get your Jeep running. <laughs> hang out here. Couch you surfing can, begins. <laughs> yeah, you can work at the gas pump. Well, luckily, I could walk from my place to the garage. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I started pumping gas. Right. So I went from designing clothes to pumping gas at a gas station. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And so you started to hear messages that what? It was okay to talk about feelings? What was that No, I mean, like that process took a, that process took a really long time. It was so... I imagine being so ingrained of keep at a distance, be disconnected. So, so the shamanic side of my, my belief system has always been there. Like going back to like, just, you know, the, my earliest remember, memories as a, as a kid in Klamath Falls, Oregon. But those experiences happened side by side with all of these other great lessons in education that I got from, from these different, these different men and women, but mo- a lot of, but for me, it was like finding men that I could, that could teach me how to like be, figure out how to be a man or what was okay to be a man, right? Yeah. To be able to talk about emotional stuff, that didn't really begin to happen until after I started my sound therapy work. Mm. Like to actually talk about it, mm-hmm. to experience it and go through it and to, you know, you know, do the sweat lodges, be there, support, all that stuff. That was always there. But then to be able to become okay with, with expressing that to people and, and share emotional experiences, that 
that really that weren't just anger. Mm -hmm. So like anger was really, really oh, easy. always, always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anger. and I love saying anger is a secondary emotion. What is behind is. that? It right. is a secondary emotion because what is behind that is what isn't talked about because it's yeah. not okay to be frustrated well, or in disappointed. Well, in our society, for sure, hurt. anger is the most. Uh, but it's not accepted. Well, no, right? <laughs> not it, at isn't all. It, it isn't. No. And it is. Like if we show it, I think for most of us, that's what we feel like. Can be. So there's an there's an interesting thing right now. Men are not allowed to be angry, mm. especially in especially in interactions with women. And this is something that I have found very very fascinating as as I've just gotten because I I had a lot of post traumatic triggers that would be hit like anybody could hit them, but where they really got put on where they really got put on notice for me were interactions with um, with women when I was much younger, and women are allowed to express and say because of the empowerment, which I agree with. Like, I'm very much about a matriarchal society. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating is, is that if a man speaks to a woman equal to the way that he is being spoken to in a conflict, it is taken completely differently. Men, and this is, there's been a neutering of men, which I don't disagree with all of that occurring, but at the same time, there has to be a, lot, a point where the matriarchal society goes, okay, we can't just keep kicking the crap out of right. guys and speaking because we've been so emasculated. And there needs to be like a rebalancing. Right. I yeah. really think too, as a woman, it's really hard to admit when you're wrong. And so I think... I think it's it, as a human. Oh, well, as yeah. As a human, yes. it's really, it, it's really <laughs> hard to admit when you're wrong. In interactions, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. If I take a step back and really own like what my piece of that was, it changes the conversation, really, in my experience. But you were totally. saying like some of... Your experiences were similar with. Well, I'm six four, right? So you know, six four, two two ten, two fifteen. Like, but I'm much much lighter now than what I was this time last year. And even when I was even when I was younger, six four and one eighty five. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not a small human being, right? right. I have a loud, it's intimidating deep voice. by nature, right? So sure. anything I say that's not kept completely calm will be construed as aggressive, and it was even if I'm just being emphatic. I'm now being aggressive, and that can be turned on men much easier. Very and, easily, and it is yeah. turned on men. It is. I've, and that's and so that was something that I had to I had to learn how to while dealing with abuse-based post-traumatic stress coming from an environment that was a very loud, vocal environment. Mm -hmm. All of those things, and then going oh, okay. So when when somebody gets heated with me. I can't get heated back with them because they're going to turn and use all of these things against mm. me just because of my size, my voice, all these different things. Well, and again, I'm, I would imagine that trigger going all the way back to childhood oh, where you is. didn't have a voice and voices were coming at you. As right. Well. Yeah. Oh, because what enabled me to be able to stand up for myself was when I got bigger and louder mm -hmm. and was able to fight back. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the thing that got made me safe and allowed me to protect myself now became the thing that gets me in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I mean, right? You're damned if <laughs> yeah. you do, and you damned yeah. if you don't. Right. Right. And so, I mean, that's when the the walking away becomes the only. The, sure. The only, but that doesn't, and that doesn't always feel good because you walk away, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because you walk away from from situations, and you have to. For me, it became accepting the fact that it doesn't really matter whether or not the person gets it. I, and yeah, that's yeah. that's what I that's what I've started to to realize is that you know there are conflict situations that happen where 
you get into them. And uh, the last term that I came up with is a horrible, horrible term and do not recommend for me. Where uh, somebody just being belligerent for the sake of being belligerent and then going, okay, you know what? If, if, if hate is what you want, then I will support hate with you. Mm, and yeah. then realizing that that person has zero chance of even understanding where you're coming from right. and having to walk away from that. Like, so there's never, there's never a good resolution. Like my, my first martial arts teacher when I was in, uh, uh, when I was six on, on the air force base, very cool Asian gentleman, Asian American. The first lesson he taught us, he said, the only way you can win a fight is to walk away. That's it. Cause anytime you get into any kind of conflict, no matter what it is, some, you will lose a little bit every time. Yeah. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then the, the duality, the bizarre duality of my life, he was there for, I think four months and then he got stationed somewhere else. And literally the, the, uh, martial arts instructor we got after him was the evil martial arts instructor from Karate Kid oh. who thought it was, he was teaching six and seven year old kids to stand at attention by, if you didn't do it doing a side piercing kick into your chest and knocking you across the room. Right, like I've been kicked you. up, I've yeah. been picked up and thrown, which is hysterical because I go to martial arts studios now or I haven't in years, but like a few years ago I was invited to go and I was watching these kids running around and I'm going, what is going on right. here? And I was talking to the, I was talking to the martial arts director who was ex-military, who was actually old enough to have been an instructor that back in the day that I would have gone to. And I'm like, what, what happened? He's like, oh, we can't do that anymore. He's like, it's, it's changed. And I'm like, Dude, there's not. What's the point of even bringing your kids to martial arts? They're not if learning they're not anything now. Discipline. There's yeah. no discipline. Well, at like all. you said, there needs to be a rebalancing. Like balance. it was, it was maybe too extreme on one end, but we definitely have gone too extreme on the other end. I think in trying to find where do we need to fall so that there is a balance between you can instill discipline in a right. karate studio without literally karate chopping someone across well, a room. Well, in your home as well. Yes. It's not like this free pass of do whatever you want as long right. as you're not bothering me. Something that you brought up, Joseph, that I wanted to touch base on was conflict and how that shows up in interactions and relationships because, I mean, when we're in relationships and the conflict arises, oftentimes people break off, they go their separate ways. Right. But then when you stay in a longer-term relationship, you're really working through your own healing growing as a person and you're married for how long (laughs) (laughs) we've been together for 18 years we've been married for officially married for 13 but we did a commitment ceremony 18 years ago so we knew we were together part of what our commitment to each other when we decided okay we knew this is what it was going to be was that we would hold each other to a higher standard of growth and that's been really challenging for both of us on either side like that's what's kept me What's kept me in the relationship and always continuing to try is that I can't quit because I promised that I would help this person continue to grow mm-hmm. as she's done with me. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not. It's duality. I, yeah. I am, I am a complicated mess of a human being and, and in <laughs> a good way. Are. Right. Everybody Welcome is. Welcome to the group. Right. Everybody <laughs> is. And, and so you, you, you find somebody that actually has the ability to like deal with your crazy and you can you can deal with their crazy and you can help them how do you feel that your relationship has either helped or gotten in the way of your relationship with yourself and really finding yourself my relationship with my wife has made me look in the mirror and figure out how to become a better person like at the end of the day she's my best friend she's been my best friend for 18 years and if she's pissed off at me and not my best friend in a moment I want to understand why and Mm. figure out 
But at the same time, I've also had to, to on the flip side, because it was very, very easy for me to blame myself for a very long period of time, because of the two of us, I definitely was the most broken of the two of us. Mm. But then to also then start to look and go, okay, it can't always be all my fault. And so now that commitment to like both of us growing, mm -hmm. that's got to come back on the other side as well. And so giving the opportunity to then put my foot down and go, okay, listen, I, I've done a bunch of work here and I'm okay with the fact that you may not like what I'm saying right now, mm. but I'm an adult. I'm going to say and it I've anyway. Done, yeah, well, and, I've, and, and I've done a bunch of work and I'm, I'm feeling mm -hmm. like this is, this is my, like I'm speaking my truth right now. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to one of the hallmarks of a healthy relationship is the ability to accept influence from the other. Yeah. Not right. just women from men, but vice versa. And that it's a two way street because you were saying people that like evolve sort of into relationships. What I've seen with people that have been married over periods of time where they lose their sense of self, they sort of live in parallel lives. Like one person's upstairs, one person's downstairs. Right. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. They stay together for the sake of the children. They're not really as engaged, but I feel like that probably started when they gave up their sense of self early on right. in the relationship mm. and just kind of committed to a family. Well, I think even if you talk about just friendships, you can see that within friendships that like you can almost feel the lack of like deepness identity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like in certain groups or like, I know I've experienced that earlier on. It's like being friends just for like friends sake. Like I think that this is what is I'm, again, I'm supposed to be doing or yeah. for whatever reason I want to be involved in this friend group. So I will do what is necessary to be a part of it. But I am so far removed from myself when I'm with these people yeah. that it's not healthy. Right. <laughs> well, Gretchen, you bring up friend groups. For men, it's very different. A lot of times, a couple has a fight and the girl runs off and she's surrounded by her sisters and her friends. And what is that like for men? Like, do you feel like there's a support system there? If there, if there was, I've I've not known of one. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Um, like, you know, now what I do is I, well, I stop blaming. That's the thing. So there's, that's a half truth. I take accountability for the fact that if, even even if I know that it's I'm I'm arguing for something that is that I believe in yeah that I feel is that that I feel like I'm correct about I still take accountability for the fact that it's my dumbass that's arguing yeah <laughs> right I try to really I I have to be really really banged up mentally to like involve people inside of what I have going on with me and that came because of of a, of a point where it seemed like nothing that was coming out of my mouth was positive at one point in my life. Mm. So if, you, if you're looking for someone to bitch to, you're going to find people to bitch to. If that bitching is what you're hoping is you're getting people to go, oh, it's okay, you know, oh, that person's so bad. Yeah. They're just the worst. Mm -hmm. You know what? I, I, don't, I don't need to hear that. Well, right. Is that really helping? No, you? it doesn't. Right. Yeah. yeah because, and, and that's, the, that's the fascinating thing. It's like, you know, when I stopped looking outside and going, okay, this person ruined my life. This person did this. This person did that. I went, no, no, dude, you were you were a mess, and like you were you kind of you kind of broke a bunch of things all at the same time. Now yeah. start putting it back together and take accountability for it, and started doing that. That allowed me to be able to rebuild my life. Mm. Well, that's a real gift to be able to look back and see where those things, because those are coping mechanisms. Oh, Even yeah. though they're unhealthy when you're an adult, like that's what kept you safe. Well, and you have you to be careful with it too. I mean, I had myself convinced that I had never been in a healthy relationship. And so that everything that was going on in my relationship with my wife, 
whenever something went sideways, I would I would instinctively blame myself. Mm. And I did this for like a really long time. And I was actually a year ago reconnected with uh, my ex prior to my wife. We were in a uh, we were in a polyamorous relationship. We were primes in a poly relationship. It was everything was really really great we were partying everything was like, young and like <laughs> were wild. these your hemp days yeah <laughs> actually this was post this was post yeah. no this is when i was yeah. actually throwing electronic music events so this is oh. like this is when i was like this was like uh, 19 actually 1999 into 2000 so it was early 2000 uh rave scene and it's crazy and we we're having a great time and every and there's a whole crew of people and then something went sideways inside of it and everything split and went apart and we didn't talk to each other for 17 years wow right and just on a whim, we got back the wonders of Facebook, right? <laughs> right, yeah, so right. We hey. get, right. <laughs> and so we got back in touch with each other, and then, which was great because we picked up exactly where we left off as friends, and we never got to be friends because we were so young. Yeah. Mm. So that was a really fascinating experience to go, oh, wait a second, here's this person who we absolutely love each other, and I wasn't all of these things that I remembered myself as being that I convinced myself. Like I actually, there, there were, here's, here's another person that actually does care about me. Right. And has, you know, has cared about me in my absence. But here's this other person that like, oh wait, no, her memories of me are all really, really good. So we also can create narratives in our head. Oh my gosh. That (laughs) will empower somebody else in a, in a way that's not necessarily the greatest thing because you, you sit there and you're like, oh, well, I've never been in a healthy relationship and I'm a horrible human being. Well, okay, no, wait, that's not true. I've definitely come with some, I come with some issues, right. but I've had some, there's, there's people out there that I've had healthy relationships with. Yeah. They weren't perfect, but yeah. there's no, and that's the whole thing. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship. No. And I would, I would even venture to say like the idea of saying a healthy relationship, I don't even like, We're how do you even driving towards that? But, but what is it? What is health? <laughs> what is a healthy relationship? You know, here's my take on that. Christy's <laughs> take on a healthy relationship. I think that it's really acceptance, acceptance of ourselves, acceptance of the person as they are, and just really being able to communicate. I mean, you might not always agree, and it might be a relationship that lasts five minutes or like 5,000 years, I don't know. But I think that couples that I've worked with, when they're really giving that attention to one another, like, I would call it healthy. Right. I mean, I think the things that you're talking about, I would agree with, and like, it doesn't have to be super detailed but that idea of creating a good foundation of communication of like a shared vision and this is what our relationship is going to look like so just what you were saying about when you met your now wife you guys knew you were like oh we're in and you guys agreed to that so we're both in about the same things that this is how our relationship is going to be and we're going to communicate about that cool then for you guys that's what's healthy and it might be a little bit different than what somebody else you know, looks like, but I think that there's always a basis. We need to have good communication. Oh, absolutely. And I'm wondering, is there a difference for you being either in a monogamous or a polyamorous relationship? Like what those differences are? It's funny because so having my dad was probably one of the most jealous. Actually, he is the most jealous person that I've ever met in my life. And like the the relationship that my mother and father have, it's now just like, you know, watch the box of popcorn, just shake your head. So they're both still alive and together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, Mm -hmm. yeah. And my dad had been married once before. My mom, my father's the first relationship that my mom has ever had mm-hmm. with my dad. They met when, when uh, my dad was stationed overseas in, in uh, the Philippines. And actually, Okinawa, my mom's from the Philippines. Well, like we said, that becomes your identity then, that relationship, who you become. Right. So everything she knows about a relationship is, is from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but my, my dad, uh, his uh, ex-wife, he was stationed overseas came back, found out that his best friend, she, his ex-wife had left him 
with and his he had a kid with him so i have a half brother that i've never met so my father came back from being overseas and his wife and kid have left to go live with his best friend Oof. right wow. so and this is back in 1970 what or yeah. 1960 yeah. what yeah. right so not a good thing so these are this is all the damaged broken stuff that gets carried forward and this is right. like people yeah. it's like fix your fix your shit before you have kids like yeah. that's a really yeah. important well, that's thing. why we're yeah. doing this or right even, right yeah right. know yourself yeah. know how right. before, those like, things impact figure it out you. before yeah. you, or, 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 that way you can actually teach lessons to kids of how like because maybe you didn't handle those things probably so my yeah. so I had been an incredibly jealous individual mm. my you know my dad and to my dad's credit southern gentleman as best as he can be like those kind of things when I got into the relationship with Kitty the the woman that I, that I was in the polyamorous relationship with that was one of the first things I mean she was a stripper before it was gentrified so she mm. was dancing at the time mm-hmm. and so here I am in this situation where I'm I'm with this young 20 something who is like I'm poly I'm like okay I, I know what that is by definition what does that mean for us she's like well we're primes okay what does that mean that means that means it's us first so I'm like all right cool I'm going to do the exact opposite of what my dad would do. That was my mind thought, my mindset. Because following everything that my dad has done has done nothing but create pain, suffering, and trauma for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try this out and see how this works. And actually, it was working quite well up until a point where there was just something that was outside of our control. I kind of screwed everything up. And what's fascinating now, fast forward 18 years later, my wife is so funny because like, she she is completely okay with our emotional commitment like where most women would freak out and be like oh my god you're like emotionally committed to this person it's like well yeah right. we never lost that commitment yeah. because that's right. who we are like she's completely okay with it she's like just don't sleep together okay right. fine you know and that's <laughs> that's, that's the line right. that's the that's her that's her there line don't yeah. sleep together but you guys can you know, say you love each other you can like spend as much time as you want together like she refers to kitty refers to my wife as our wife it's a, it's hysterical well nicole is so sweet I would take her as a wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how it gets, you know. And She's just a very lovable, give, like, you yeah. can tell her genuineness. One of the things that you're talking about now and just, like, the relationship that you have with both Kitty and your wife and, like, these people in your life, yeah. I think goes back to kind of one of the things, Christy, that you were asking about, about, like, you know, women have friends that we can go to and talk to and, like, do you, you know, have you ever had that experience with men? And you were like, no, not really. I haven't. And I've had that like basically you just kind of have had to deal with all of this on your own. Yeah. And maybe now though, being in the relationships that you're in with these women that you also are like, okay, I can process stuff maybe with them too. Which I actually, I've been able to start doing with like Kitty and I talk. So when it comes to my dealing with relationship stuff, I definitely have a, a friend in that regard. Yeah. And what's great about it is, is that, she won't take a side. Yeah. And that's the tough thing I, I would say and why I, I never, I didn't feel comfortable talking to people for a really long time because I don't want someone to take my side. What yeah. I was going to point out that yeah. I think that that's the difference between what we often find where you were saying, oh, you might go to someone. If I'm looking to go to someone for, to just have them be like, yeah, you are right. They yeah. are an asshole. That, that. Well, and that's why in therapy we try to remain very objective. Some therapists are not, and they feel like, or some people come into therapy wanting to get somebody to take their side. Yeah, but that's really not the the end goal in there. Right. It's it's been a it's been a really good thing. I mean, for to just be able to have for for me personally to be able to have a friend and and know that I I didn't completely torch like my my whole younger part of my life mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I mean because like yeah. I and, and so and to kind of explain it just in the context of the podcast right now so like people listening to this are like oh my god that guy's such a mess like, I, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
there was there was a transition that happened where when I when I moved to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, my, like I'd been in the hemp industry. My wife and I were working together, and we were we were building a, a an eco fashion consulting company together. And there was the, these two gentlemen that we moved next door to. I called my gay dads. They were literally this this gay couple that had been together forever. Two of the most brilliant men that I had ever had the chance to be around. We were with them for five years until they both passed away. Wow. There was this whole rebuilding process that I had started to do to do when I met my wife. Like I when when I met my wife, I had decided I never wanted to be in a relationship ever again because relationships were bad. Mm. And then I met my wife and I said, okay, I will only be your best friend. I am horrible at relationships and you're an awesome person and I want to be your friend. Because I don't want to lose you as a friend. Because right, I don't want I've to ruin con- this. Right, because I've ruined every other like relationship and friendship that I've ever had. Because that was had. just a belief that you had about that yourself. That was a belief that I had convinced myself about. Yeah. And, and there's, but there's some truth to that. I was going to say, there might have been there, some evidence. No, there's, evidence. A, there's, a, there's a lot oh, of evidence. Oh, I'm sure there's, like, you're yeah. like, I have seven volumes of evidence. Yeah, no, no, I have tons of it. And, and, it, and it's good that the younger me decided to do that because I needed to mm. treat myself in that harsh manner to be able to get to a point to where I could go, okay... You know, you threw everything. You threw the baby out, the bathwater, the tub. You chucked everything. Burned the house to the ground. Burned it to the ground and you started over. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. Yeah. But that's what's allowed me to get to the point where I am now where I have my sound therapy practice. I'm able to talk, you know, I'm able to help and look at people and go, okay, you might want to try this because this is what I went through. Mm -hmm. So, like, I appreciate all the experiences that Mm -hmm. I have because I'm open about them. But at the same time, like, you have to, you've got to come to a point where if you don't stop bashing yourself, you can't grow. Yeah. And that's what the friendships reconnecting with uh, with these women that I had relationships with, uh, reconnecting with them, that I had these positive relationships with, and, and seeing them, has reminded me is that it wasn't all bad when I was like, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's been something that's been really nice at this point in my life is to be able to go, okay, yeah, there was you know there were the head case moments, but mm-hmm. there weren't. Right. So. Being able to see it from a different perspective. Yeah. 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 What is now with all of the things that you do because it sounds like you do a lot of things now just have a very busy schedule what is it like now to kind of keep that relationship with yourself at its best or you know self-care self-care and you know it's weird it's hard i play my ditch i'm starting to focus a lot more on music but then finding the balance like it's like i hated because there was a moment when i when i got punted out of the hemp industry as i was transitioning into the the in-between years going from the hemp industry then to sound therapy where I ended up going into the trades and that was something that was mm. never in my my like my mind something that I would ever do. Turned out that I I actually have a talent for it and that's cool and I love being and, and now at this point in my life it's great because I don't have to call someone to do things. Yeah. I can do it myself. <laughs> yeah. But when you just finish designing clothing and you're you think you're at a place where where you're supposed to be doing something else and then all of a sudden you start doing trades work in a affluent New England seacoast town where they everybody looks down on that mm. you have to go through a growing process so it's very funny because like the relationship that Pittsburgh has with its blue collar trades yeah. and that, completely different than, than New England it's very adversarial and very like down the nose and it's and to answer your question so now things that it's funny like I for me you know doing odd jobs around my house like finding the zen of painting a room when uh, that guy Marty was talking to me about the Leonardo DiCaprio special he saw with the, yeah. the ditch player and whatnot. I was literally on a job site hanging a ceiling in a water-damaged garage when that happened. That whole experience when I was painting and the foreman for that, that a commercial painting company, I would describe it as my three-dimensional anger management coloring book. <laughs> 
that's how I got and through it. In a meditative state. Mm-hmm. I will that yeah, Stroke. trying to yeah. find it. Yeah. yeah. But not not necessarily doing it, but that was yeah. and, and working for working for a, a little short dude with a Napoleonic complex that hated everybody. <laughs> I mean, if there was any possible thing to like set you off and to like, distract you. Yeah. And right. Well, and I would say like so you're using that right hemisphere of your brain in rhythm and that's just what music does and sound healing does and right. movement therapy and yeah. all of that kind well, of Well, because Christy and I were just talking like before we were hanging out and stuff, just talking about how constantly we're like, oh man, we're like so on top of our game with our self-care to like two two days even, Shit a week show. later be like, oh my God, I'm so discombobulated. Well, like you know I'm it because so you're stressed and you're, you know, shorter with people and you're more irritable. And mm-hmm. so I think that self-care is a big piece of that while we have uh the male perspective here yeah. in terms of body image you didn't mention that you dropped a bunch of weight and well, I, I got sick yes That's i remember what, that yeah. and i worried because well i had a picnic at my house and you came and i was like oh my gosh do i say you look great or like right. is he sick oh my god i was so <laughs> right. worried about you and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you brought it up like yeah. here's the thing if you're ever wondering if you should comment on someone's weight don't and I didn't. So here you go. <laughs> right now, I was a bit concerned no. for you, but you look great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. So I had I, I had a series of food intolerances that were that had gone from being acute for years of just different digestive things to then going chronic. Do you mind saying how you were at a DIG comp or you were doing something? I was doing, we were doing a uh, doctors and nurses wellness program for UPMC and the physician that I was working with, one of her colleagues was there after we had finished for the day. They were eating and I was drinking (laughs) my St. Germain martini on the rocks. For dinner? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because that's all like, at that point that was, I I couldn't eat anymore. Like I had gotten back from my, I had done a, a retreat in New Mexico i gotten really sick off the plane and uh, was in so much pain. And so I'm sitting there drinking the martini. And this was and the martini is important because it's actually it helped her diagnose what was wrong. So she looks at me and she's like, why aren't you eating? And I said, I don't eat anymore. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm like all right, fine. Here's all the symptoms. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and they were primarily? Um, everything from bloating, uh, lower GI pain, serious hemorrhoidal issues like as all kinds of just yeah. like anything that could cause gut stuff. gut stuff and pain like and just nothing holding together properly Ugh. and so i had been reading a bunch of things and i had, so my my symptoms were either ulcerative colitis crohn's or colon cancer and so at that point i had decided that i'll just die which yeah. is okay i'm yeah. okay with that like i've had an amazing life like i just like right. i'm, I'm mm-hmm. totally yeah. cool with that She's like, I know what's wrong with you. I was like, all right, what's wrong with me? She's like, your good gut bacteria is on vacation and you've been feeding bad gut bacteria and you need to be on this diet. So she put me on the GAPS diet and I did all these tests. And the I, GAPS diet, interestingly enough, is... For people on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's useful well, to know. And the explosive anger was also something that was symptomatic as well because mm. like, it's part of that whole gut-brain access well, thing. did you know that 85% of our serotonin is produced in our gut? So that's no, like, I didn't know that. Surprise. That's amazing. Yeah. That's why they call our bellies and our, our second, this, our second, second brain. brain. And yeah. how cool is that? Well, I mean, it's good information. That's cool. It's good not. information to have. Let's put that <laughs> right. because I mean, for it's the majority of people that are diagnosed with depression, there's something about your diet that is a piece of that. And like you said, anger, irritability, yeah. like all of these things are. The the physician that I that I was working with, she like her big thing was eating to reverse disease. And yeah. I definitely felt a change. A bunch of different changes that I changed my diet, and yeah. and I can also because I've because I've been so far in one direction of unhealthy, 
And that was part of what actually kicked me in the face was like sitting there and listening to this doctor talking, talking about diet, exercise, lifestyle change again and again and again and again. And I'm sitting there and like, you know, I'm going to Permanis. I was going to say, I'm what was your like diet and afterwards. exercise I like loved, at the time? So I, I absolutely loved IPAs, which I can't drink at all. I can't um, either. The next day, my... Oh, I'm done. It's a lot of I'm gluten. Done. It yeah. is. It hurts. It, yeah. It, well, it, it's just, it's the type of, it's the type of alcohol that it is. And it, it's feeding, again, feeding this bad gut bacteria. Yeah. All the different, like all the different diet things that I couldn't eat. But like, I, I've been left gin, scotch red wine if as long as I, I gotta vet the red wine first I pretty much just say gin scotch gin scotch and uh, vodka occasionally I can perfect do. right right I don't <laughs> yeah. do mixers I, yeah. you know, I do and and uh, and I don't drink a lot anyway but so it's it that wasn't a big deal the the tough thing was losing pizza <laughs> Yeah. because what happens is when you get when you're when you lose the good gut bacteria the bad gut bacteria start sending signals to your brain and going Oh, we're hungry. And you're Give like, oh my God, I'm hungry. And I need more of that. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so I never, like, the only fruit I ever ate, and you can ask my wife this, it just drove her nuts for years. The only fruit I'd eat if it, I would eat was if it was in a pie. Oh. Right? <laughs> I couldn't taste, I, I couldn't taste fruit sugars. Wow. I couldn't taste them. Now it's like, I, I have, I generally have at least one, if not two smoothies a day. Yeah. I, I have an organic, frozen organic fruit thing that I put in it. Uh, I've got some greens that I drop in it. I use Vega. Because it's a, and part of why I grabbed Vega when I knew that I had this digestive thing going on, I had by just luck been in a uh, promo thing that that they were doing for Vega, and the guy who, he created this formula formula because he was same thing, whole bunch mm-hmm. of gut issues, and it's a vegan greens based protein powder. So I was like, okay, give me that, yeah, give me the bone broth, mm-hmm. and that's oh, all I'm gonna eat. Mm-hmm. And so that was this time last year. So we're, we're in April. Yeah, this time last year, I'd been on the diet for a month, and I was shedding. Uh, so at that, at the, my heaviest, I was two sixty eight. Yeah. And it was just like totally unhealthy, like bloated. Mm-hmm. And everyone says, "Oh, but you carried it well because you were tall." So, yeah. Do you try like, walking? Felt... You try walking your dogs uphill twice well, a day. Well, that's why I thought you were sick because you didn't look like obese. But, you know no, what I mean? No, I, you were. I was, but I was definitely, I, I was not, I was not, not I was not mm-hmm. my healthy. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And well, uh, on the bone broth is just so good for those gut, like ev- feeds the everything. good gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a plant intelligence book or something that actually, and I, I don't know a lot about it, but that some of those pharmaceutical companies are mimicking complex things that are found in plants. So a lot of times we can use like, whether it's gooseberries or like you were yeah. saying, the vegan powder, these things can be alternatives to medicine for lowering well, blood pressure, you know. I'm also finding like out that. that the now at this point, because it's been a year that I've been on this diet and as I've been kind of nailing things down, I've been reintroducing things and trying to figure out like oh. what's been going on. Yeah. And what so do you like find? That my issue isn't necessarily with wheat or gluten and I knew that anyway yeah and it's same it's actually the the chemicals that they use to uh for the accelerants for like yeast yeah because like there's commercial yeast has all of these things to make the yeast rise faster and oh i can eat sourdough bread i just found out Mm -hmm. people with food intolerances and what they're not realizing is that it has nothing to do with the wheat it has everything to do with the yeast that's being used because of the accelerants right that are doing it so Going back to like the difference between the United States and Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because over Our there... Our food is so, so bad here. So the two things that stick out for me from living over there to here is 
that portion size, <laughs> big time portion size, and the freshness of it. Right. So one of my clients works—I won't say the name of the chain—but a lot of their food comes in prepackaged, and they microwave it. So yeah. you're going to a restaurant and you're getting that. Yeah. So over there, like the stores close around five, except for Thursdays and Saturdays, they were open till nine. Oh. So people were home more; they were cooking more on their oh. own. When you go to a restaurant, you're going to spend two hours because everything's freshly prepared, and you're right. not rushed and taking you're more taking your time and movement. Right. I mean, we live such a sedentary lifestyle here, and we're driving everywhere. So I think that all of those factors combined make us pretty unhealthy. Yeah. By nature. And then, well, the the actual, the funny thing about supermarkets over there is kind of like, they look like Trader Joe's. They're so (laughs) tiny. I had Mm -hmm. a friend who said, my boyfriend is over there. He sent me a picture of pickles and I was like pickles she's like why do you have so many damn choices when it comes <laughs> right. to pickles or cereal or anything in I, the yeah. middle of our giant supermarkets is yeah. terrible for you yeah we're the only species on the planet that eats food for entertainment you could make the argument for orcas that they play with their food <laughs> so like the person I didn't that, know that <laughs> what that orcas play with their I food didn't. uh we're the only species that eats for entertainment yeah like and it's such a ingrained in our like coming together mm-hmm. you know i mean there's some good things to that but then there's yeah. also like mm-hmm. being able to figure out how to find that balance but then also what are the ingredients that are being yes. used to make it a uh, practice of eating for entertainment right I mean, you can you can you can be hungry in the united states but it's very difficult to starve and mm-hmm. i'm not and i, I know there are People will argue that with me, but I mean, you can go to McDonald's and you can get 10,000 calories, or I'm sorry, the 1,200 calories for $5, but people don't look at it as doing that. So then if that's if that's what you're eating and that's what's available to you, it's like, oh, well, I, I like McDonald's. So like now you're eating McDonald's twice a day and you're eating 5,000 calories okay. because for, you know, $15, you know, and you're not thinking about that way because the portion sizes still aren't really that huge, mm-hmm. right? but the calories inside of those portions are ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people don't equate that. Allison brought that up about, like, if I have X amount of calories, I'm going to eat this McDonald's, and that's going to be, like, healthy fuel for my body, and it doesn't work that way. No. Right. And I think that there is a big misconception, yes and no. Like, to go to Hello Bistro and get a salad, you're spending $14 versus $5 at Wendy's. But if you go to the supermarket and you purchase (laughs) all of the food that you're going... Agreed. And I'm bringing this up because I don't do that. Right. But, again, being more mindful about what I'm doing at home and making that a better practice for myself. Right. Because... There's an addiction factor when it comes to sugar and additives and and convenience. We have all of these different things that we're constantly wrestling against. Well, and the stressors and what we're doing to relieve those stress. So maybe people are grabbing for a bag of chips or just sitting to like mindlessly stare at Netflix. But we've talked about the balance of sometimes those things aren't bad, but... Again, everything in moderation. Know. I eat a, If I eat a two-pound bag of almonds, I can't tell you that that's any better than eating... You know what I mean? Right, like, an entire... Ba- no, it's right, because of the again, calories. Everything like, in moderation. Right. <laughs> right. It right. doesn't matter what it is. And that's where, like, I think even changing the way we think about, like, oh, they're good or bad foods. It's like, no, there's food. Right. And how are you fueling yourself? What does it... How does it feel right. to eat whatever food you're choosing, whatever amount you're choosing? Because you said, if you sat down and ate... If I love pistachios, but if I keep eating all those pistachios, <laughs> the amount of salt and, like, how that feels in my body yeah. doesn't feel good. Yeah, I ate a Some, bunch of pistachios last night. Right, so you know, right? <laughs> so, so to me, if uh, I'm thinking, this is a healthy option, but again, how does it feel when I eat it? 
having that, I think, awareness is super important. Yeah. Yeah. And having the right information, because there's so much information out there. You really have to kind of like simplify things. That's well, and what's right for you isn't going to be what's right for mm-hmm. me. Isn't going to be what's right for you. You know, so for someone that says, "I found out from my digestive issues that I can't eat a lot of raw food," and I used to initially, my body like just vegetables changed. and stuff. That, yeah. I can't eat salads. It's tough. I give yeah. it up, and if I do eat some raw. It is very limited, and I know I'm going to pay for it, so I'm. Yeah. it's a bartering system. I understand, yeah. But that's something that came about later in life. I used to eat yeah. salads a lot, and I'm like, this when is I would healthy. Go, right, yeah. when I would go in and out of like, oh, if I'm trying to be healthy, quote unquote, or mm-hmm. I'm trying to lose weight, I'll just eat a bunch of salads. And eating so much raw destroyed my gut, messed me up, mm-hmm. and then when I would try to do it again, so when I went and I worked with an acupuncturist for a year, and we are talking about my my diet, what I'm eating and how I'm eating and all those kinds of things. Like really, I haven't had a salad in over two years and it's super sad because I really did like them. And I did actually experiment this one time, like last year. And I was like, I really want a salad. And it was stupid because I was at work and Uh, I like in between a client ran up to giant Eagle and got like a fresh salad, you know, I tried my best. Everything salad, like all kinds of stuff on it. It had, it was like, I had some chicken. It had maybe, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like a club salad or something, but whatever it was. And I was eating, I was like, this is delicious. And it was like mid session. I could hear my stomach was like, and I was like, Oh no. Oh, and after die that, now. Yeah, yeah. literally yeah. after that, I was like, all right, I hear you. I needed to test it one more time, yeah. but no, I will yeah. not. No, so that's what happened. So my wife and I, totally different digestive capabilities. Yeah. And we were eating her diet for years. And that's part of what tanked me. Like, uh, along with the yeah. fact that like back mm-hmm. when, you know, when I was a teenager, they thought that prescribing two 100 milligram pills of tetracycline twice a day for acne was a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, so, and I, I was on tetracycline for like two years wow. for acne. Come to realize, because someone asked me at one point, they're like, were you ever on a prolonged exposure to antibiotics? I'm like, no, never. And it was so like, like, oh my oh. God, yes, I was. It was. It's- um, <laughs> but so her diet, she, raw vegetables, all of that. And over the course of our relationship, like I had eaten more vegetables and I can't do, like, I can't do raw broccoli. Like, I have to yeah. cook my broccoli mm-hmm. to death. I have to cook my asparagus to Same. death. Like, you, and that's the other thing is being okay with, like, what you eat. That's that's the other thing. Like, I have very, very little patience for people who don't understand, at this point, people who don't understand that food choices are very personal. Mm-hmm. And as long as, if you're making them and you're making them because you understand your health, right? So... Yeah. Going through life blindly making, you know, blindly just eating whatever you want. That's not a food choice. Mm-hmm. That's that's falling into like, you know, the we, we are so we have so much marketing put in front of us. You know, you're you're programmed to buy the Kit Kat bar, mm-hmm. go to go to the fast food place, you know, go to the whatever, like the, the chain restaurant and get these massive portions and eat them and have all this stuff available to you. So that's the programming that's always out there. Radio, television, whatever. Yes. But, and whatever the diet culture is bringing up too, because I want to shit on the keto diet because people have their own diets for their own reasons. Or, But I knew people on it and when they were saying how bad fruit is and you can't eat any fruit on it because on it because there's sugars it became programmed in my mind that every time i went to eat fruit i was like oh this isn't this is actually and then you're going to react that way your body you because you because again the brain gut access you convince yourself of these Mm -hmm. things your body reacts a particular way exactly right because even that like i can't tell you how many times people have said oh have a salad 
I'm like, well, I can't. They're like, why? They're good for you. I'm like, actually, they're not. No, not they're for not me. good for me. <laughs> and 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 that kind of belief is is that what is good for you is good for you, and it's important for right. you to figure that out. Mm-hmm. What's good for me is not what the diet culture says, what advertisements and media and everything is being put in my face or whatever, but actually what makes me feel good and gives me fuel and energizes me Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So speaking of making you feel good and being energized, you were bringing up what the Didge has done for you in that regard in terms of grounding yourself, centering yourself, dealing with your history of... PTSD and... So when I picked up the Digit the very first time I started playing, at that point in my life, I was probably at one of like the deepest, darkest places just in my, where my personality was and what I was dealing with. And I would sit on the beach and I would play beautiful little beach area. I would sit with my Rottweiler, um, my first Rottweiler. Oh, I didn't know you. I want one so bad. <laughs> They're the anyway, best. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> They're the best dogs. I'm on number three now. And uh, and actually, they just keep... The universe just keeps putting them in my life. I don't even... I didn't even ask for the first one. But... Uh, we, I would just sit and I'd play forever. Looking back, as I started to do sound, the sound therapy work, and even at some point, kind of consciously realized that I was meditating and clearing and releasing at that time. The didge actually really very much, as I was moving forward, that it kept me alive. Like, cause yeah. I, was, I was screaming, literally screaming into the instrument and playing, or sometimes even playing peacefully with the river and the sound and everything. In 2003, when I when I started finding out about the, the sound therapy work, then it became a really understood conscious choice. Like there were points where I was taking my dig with me, to and I wasn't even playing it that much. Like you know, different different points when I was working within the industry, the hemp industry, it was like a whoopee. You know, yeah. I was like I was like you know I just I was like Linus with his little t- with his little <laughs> just, blanket. It's keep I had it, it with me and I didn't even yeah. know why. It was just always with me. And yeah, I, and, security. Yeah, and so yeah, it very. It, it's been so many different things. The playing of it musically and it being inside of that space, that's where, for my personal zen, that's where my deepest zen is, is when I'm playing it musically mm-hmm. and doing that. So like now I'm at the point where like I have to write music to be able to play too. And so there's a whole process and stuff. Yeah. Be- oh, and can you tell the listeners where they can grab your... Because yeah, you're so, on absolutely. iTunes. I'm on everything, yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you have any streaming service, iTunes, Deezer iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. If you search my name, Joseph, uh, Joseph B. Carringer, C-A-R-R-I-N-G-E-R, or Didge Therapy, D-I-D-G-E Therapy. Well, we'll make and sure we'll to link put it. all yeah. this in when we upload this. We'll make sure to like link all. But of it's yeah. super calming, I find. Yeah. So there's the meditative. There's the meditative stuff that's there. People have used it everything for insomnia, anxiety, depression, all of you know anything to allow you to help you meditate, yeah. clear your mind. Um, and when you're me- meditating, I feel like so many people have this aspiration in their mind, like, I'm going to have no thoughts. I'm going to be void of thoughts. That no, is no, not the case. No. So if you're going to try this, just use your breath as an anchor. And if you're listening to the Didge music and you just focus on your in-breath, you focus on your out-breath. Count and, it if you yeah. need to. Yeah. That can be helpful. If something pops up, literally just choose not to attach another thought to it. Just Focus on your in and focus on your out. Yeah. And don't judge yourself because a mm-hmm. lot of times people are like, I can't meditate. I'm the worst meditator. My brain is too busy. For some reason, this won't work for me. I encourage you. It depends on the day. Like, I have days where oh, yeah, totally. I have a mantra that I just have to keep repeating because my brain is super busy. Meditation yeah. is not a destination. Just like yoga yeah. is not a destination. Mm-hmm. Wellness is not a destination. These are That's why they call them practices. There's this idea and this belief that meditation has to be, you know, climbing up this mountainside and finding this 
uh, you know, this monk in a, in a, in a cave and sitting there and, and it, no, it's all, it, that's all bullshit. It's yeah. meditation is literally just breathing and, and like allowing yourself to relax and going, <sighs> Well, right. not only that, Focus but I think mm-hmm. similar to the food choices, what meditation is for you yeah. right. is different. It's or, different for right. every person. It's different for every person. So finding what works for you and being willing to try right. different things and experiment. And if something doesn't work, that's okay. Right. Yeah. Meditation is very different from exercise. So sometimes people will be like, oh, I'm a runner. That's my meditative state. No. You can't. You really can't. You can't you can be find in the... zen running. Sure. Yeah. And that could be <laughs> a great But you're not going to find outlet. meditation. Well, and it or can like be a lift, great release. Right. Yeah. Lifting heavy weights or doing any sort of like Zumba dance. Whatever you do as your physical exercise, right. let that be. Let your meditation be different. And there's all different forms of meditation. Yeah. Like taking, we were... taking 10 deep breaths and looking up yes. at the sky. Meditation. meditation. That's meditation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Take 10 deep breaths a day. Count them in, read them out, Mm -hmm. look at the sky. Don't think about anything. Mm -hmm. Practice not thinking about anything. Practice, just let your mind go blank. So things come in there, don't hold on to them, just do it. But if you can take 10 deep breaths a day and make that a practice that you do at least 10 deep breaths a day, that will start you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started with. Well, because thoughts, quite honestly, that's what your brain's meant to do. So you're not going to stop your heart from beating. You're not going to stop your brain from thinking, but you can allow yourself to be more attentive in well, that like moment. Like you said, not attach yourself to those thoughts. I'm a very visual person, so I like to tell people, it's like if you're standing in front of a babbling brook and you see a leaf coming down the way, it's like a thought, right, yeah. in yeah, your yeah. mind. And so you see the leaf, oh, here it comes, and you also let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. And that we don't you know, reach down and pick up the leaf and hold on to it and then examine it. They're going to come, they're going to happen, they're going to come through, but we can also not pick them up and attach ourselves to them. Yeah, to, yeah. I like great, that. Great analogy. Great thank analogy. you. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for coming Thanks and for sharing with us. Here. This was so great. Really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have you back. Oh, yeah. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Just anytime you want. Thank you for listening to Conversations to Connect with Gretchen and Christy. If you like our show, want more information, and want to connect with us, go to our website at www.conversationstoconnect.com and follow us on Instagram. We hope this episode has given you some useful tips to create meaningful conversations in your life. If you feel like you would benefit from talking with a therapist, one resource is www.psychologytoday.com, or you can contact your insurance company. See you next time.